Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania. Ant-Man 3, ladies and gentlemen, it is out. We have seen it. We're going to tell you what we thought. It's Kicking the... off Phase 5. It sure is, man. Kicking off Phase 5. <laughs> it's the... God, I lost count. 28th Marvel movie? 29th, I think? It's close I think to com- 30. I, we're really coming up on 30, because I remember Shang-Chi being like 26. We're also going to take a look at a micro-budget indie horror called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. Not from Disney, but rather a product of Disney... Uh, Disney's copyright expiring on the Winnie the Pooh characters and the young director Reese Wake Waterfield jumped on it and here we are we have micro budget horror Andy and I went and saw it it was a couple theaters in town we're gonna let you know what we thought uh, we need to talk about where we are with streaming content for Marvel and Star Wars I mean I don't know I, Marvel and Star Wars obviously aren't everything to do with streaming but like they're a large I think entertainment entity in the middle of it and some people are starting to question Do we have too much? Is there too much Marvel in Star Wars? Is there such a thing as too much Marvel in Star Wars? Before we get to all of it, we need to get to the news. Our first story this week, uh, How to Train Your Dragon is getting a live action adaptation. This is announced from DreamWorks Animation. Uh, It's going to be directed by Dean DeBloy, who is interestingly, interestingly, uh, the director of the original. Which is promising. Uh, Dean did the first three, but I'm going to be honest. We've seen some live action adaptations from uh, Disney. It seems like DreamWorks following in their footsteps. It feels a little harrowing. Andy, what do you think? It's definitely a a big risk, but it's one that could really pay off. Um, We've seen Disney properties earn well over a billion dollars in these remakes. We've also seen some of them totally flop. So it's a matter of of can they... uh, make a faithful or not even a faithful can they make a live action adaptation that gets people excited and gets people out to the theater i i think they very well well could do that I'm, i'd be interested to see what they what that looks like you know real life uh characters and see obviously cgi dragons uh just kind of how it all transfers to the live action screen uh, the original films are based on the books by Cressida Cowell of the same name. Uh, the books are fairly different from what I've heard. I haven't read them, but I, I, I've heard from people that have dabbled in it. My wife, my wife's a writer, so it comes across, across people from time to time. Uh, that it's They're different. And I think these are going to be based a little bit more closely to those. But it's worth mentioning, like while I said in the open, Dean DeBlois is jumping on these to take them from where they were uh they were also co-directed by chris sanders uh who is an incredible talent originally out of disney uh chris sanders uh wrote and directed lilo and stitch um which was beautiful like watercolor feature like lots of big big, you know big eyes and like it's got a particular look to it and how to train your dragon if you kind of squint and turn your head and maybe crank the saturation you can almost see that like artistic through line uh, man's got talent and, and Dean does as well, but he'll be on his own for the second one. And I think uh, me, at least I'm a little concerned cause man, like the, the, the animation to live action model is really tired right now. And I know Disney is fundamentally the reason that's happening, but it just feels like this is not going to be as like magical as the animation is right. It, it hardly ever is. That's what, that's what animation is. It's unreal. It's, it's, it's something special. It is a really good animated film. It's very exciting. It's kid friendly. It's family friendly, but it still ha- has like some you know more mat- mature themes, or you know it has a competent story and arc. And it's it's I mean they're very well made films. So again, it's about can you capture that on in live action? You know Disney is kind of 
failed with these. Like all the live action remakes are pretty lackluster, but they make a lot of money, so it's a good business decision. Um, hopefully, they don't go down that that road, and hopefully, a, a new a live action adaptation would not necessarily bring in something new, but just keep keep the excitement. It's true. It's not all bad out of Disney. While while we think a lot of them are creatively bankrupt because they're just copying and pasting previous works just in a live action format uh beauty and the beast and aladdin both made like a billion dollars like uh, across lion king as well yeah, all, all over the world yeah which oh god I didn't like, yeah, it's fine uh i i don't know i don't know if i've got the confidence in this one yeah no no word on casting yet i don't know how they're gonna do these cute dragons in live action and make them look just as effective. I, 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 I it'll be the, really the Northman meets game of Thrones. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but Godspeed Dean, you have a tall, <laughs> tall creative mountain to climb, but again, who better to do it, right? Like at least if you're going to do it, you just get the guy who did the other three and go, Hey, you're doing this. You're doing the remake of the movie you already made. You know, he can, he can stew on it a longer, come up with something special. We'll see. Uh, speaking of animated adaptations, Hellboy is getting another reboot. Uh, now, I don't know a lot about comics, all right? So I'm going to let Andy kind of take the reins on this because this is about a particular, uh, what, storyline in the Hellboy universe? And I don't, Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Hellboy's been made twice now, once by Guillermo del Toro in the 20, 20-aughts and then... More recently, with the there was the one-off film starring David Harbour, which was kind of a flop. It's a decent movie, but it just didn't really take off the way they they had hoped for. Uh, this version is going to be rated R, and it's going to be a folk horror setting in the 1950s, and is based on uh, a title called Hellboy: The Crooked Man uh, by Mike Mignola, who is a creator of Hellboy and the comics. So I think that's a big deal. I think that that's going to help kind of uh hopefully make a, a good film so it, it's a lot of times just easier to follow an existing storyline or at least kind of loosely base a movie on an, an existing comic storyline uh even something like the dark knight is famously loosely based on the long halloween uh, a classic batman story from the, from the 90s so the crooked man i i'm excited about this and like i said the creator's involved and it involves uh this the crooked man is like this devilish figure uh, as part of the the secret like coven of of witches in the 1950s. So it's like it's already sounding pretty spooky to me, and I think would would be a interesting like kind of first entry and what they hope will be a series. Andy made a good point. I think part of the reason this one's got a lot of steam behind it is because not only is it based on an original story from Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. Uh, it's being written by him. Uh, for the first time in the franchise, Mike Mignola is has penned the script alongside his Dark Horse Comics collaborator Chris Golden. So these are the guys who write the comics. So the 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 meat of this should be quality. Additionally, it's supposed to be rated R, which is exciting. We haven't seen that in Hellboy yet. Both films are well, I should say three films. Uh, Gamer del Toro did Hellboy, and then Hellboy: The Golden Army, and then David Harbour starred in the 2019 Hellboy reboot. Uh, all of them are pretty dark. None of them are rated R. This one's supposed to be a little bit meatier, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It's directed by Brian Taylor, who is probably most famously the director of Crank. Very early work on his franchise. Lots of really kinetic action, crazy camera moves, some really rad stuff going on in Crank. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage it. Most recently, he's done Mom and Dad, starring uh, Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. You might remember it. it was a horror like last year where Mom and Dad go crazy 
and the kids are like, what do we do? I, we didn't actually watch it for the show because it looked a little cheesy, but you know, that that's what he's got going on. So script wise, coming from a good place, director wise, I don't know. Most we'll importantly, yeah. I don't know who's funding this thing. Like that, that's what I want to know. How much money is going into it? <laughs> and more importantly, who's going to be Hellboy? I, I guess no leads on casting, right? Yeah, and it's in very early stages, but it is in development, active development. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. It, uh, you kind of need a, a big guy, but before uh, Ron Perlman played him in the Guillermo del Toro version, and of course David Harbour, and these are both big guys. They're both like six three, six five. Uh, so it would be, have to be a you know kind of a younger person, but who's really Dave Bautista? He's coming back. As hey man, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He, t- he talks about how much he hates putting on the Guardians makeup. Yeah, like no, I don't, he's I don't... done. Uh, he's done with the makeup. It's got to be someone, <laughs> can, someone young. I don't know if he can sit young. for it. It's a young. It's got to be somebody. Game. It's funny. Just last week, before we pivot off this, just last week I was reading that uh, David Harbor says he keeps a framed picture of his Hellboy character on his like on one of his bookshelves is like a reminder that like you failure is still you could still fail and be okay and i'm like god that's such a bummer like i was telling andy before the show like the hellboy movies aren't bad none of them are particularly bad films i don't think they're just like they go in a creative direction that mainstream audiences don't really gel with i mean hell is in the title like 50 percent of evangelical audiences are going to run away just because it's like uh it's satan like it's you know like it they're divisive little things. They're they're not like safe little properties like Captain America. So, but I think they're neat, and it, it's weird to me that they're having to reboot them again. You know, like why not? I'd love it if they just ran with David Harbor again. Why not? Right? Like we we know him. He's a cool looking Hellboy, but we'll have to see. Any other thoughts on this before our last story, Andy? Other than I'm I'm excited for it, and the way they're the approach is it's more adult. Like I said, it's going to be rated R gonna be full car horror so think of something like the witch yeah um, 1950s setting like yeah you can get proper spooky i'm excited but i'm I've, I've been hurt before all right like i need to take it <laughs> slow in this relationship i don't know how i feel about him all right i gotta get to know him feel him out but it'll be okay hopefully a trailer at some point like it seems like we said very early stage but keep hearing off script for more our last story this week from the box office Ant-Man and, the Quant- Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania marches to a $120 million box office opening. Good Lord, Ant-Man is doing it. It's making a ton of money. What do you think, Andy? This Ant-Man, Ant-Man 3, is now the best performing of the three Ant-Man films. Uh, $240 million is a huge opening. That's globally, of course, uh, for any Marvel movie. Especially this is, I mean, Ant-Man's like, you know, He's not Thor or Iron Man or Captain America. He's down in the list of of superheroes, and uh, it's kind. It looks kind of weird. It is w- really kind of weird and bizarre. You're introducing a few new characters, new villain, and Kang the Conqueror. Uh, but people are excited, and people came out, especially overseas. Uh, I'm. I guess I'm not surprised by this. Uh, I. I. I know it's not going to do that amazing, right? It's not going to do like avengers numbers but it's probably going to do better than something like shang chi right like ant-man's a pretty established hero he was in the avengers uh he's had two films before everybody seems like paul rudd like feels like ant-man 3 is going to do pretty good but like good lord 120 million dollars opening weekend i'm surprised mostly because of the memes i don't know if you've seen the trailers for ant-man and the lost quantum mania but like it's a whole lot of cgi and like people wearing super suits and it looks a little like spy kids 3d which we'll talk about in just a second in our <laughs> review 
uh, I guess I'm just surprised that like it's getting so much play for what is otherwise very CGI heavy movie. But if we've discovered anything, especially with Avatar, it's that foreign markets love CGI late heavy movies. It is like their favorite thing ever, which is wild to me. Uh, and I think that's where it's getting most of its play. Yeah, well, like you said, overseas it it's doing it's just fa- fantastic. And again, like Avatar, spectacle sells uh, things that aren't super complicated or aren't you know culturally very uh, complicated as well. Just they seem to do well. You don't you don't necessarily have to do a lot of homework. You can just kind of show up and still know what's going on. Yeah, uh, I do think it's weird. Before I move off this, um, Dan, do we know why it's underperforming in China so bad? Like, I mean, most most I know, American I know a movie, lot. Yeah, most American movies just don't do particularly well in in China. Marvel doesn't do well in China. These are very American properties, and uh, it's just not very popular over there. Notably, a lot of Marvel movies of late have not run in China because they feature themes or images that are not approved for cinema over there. Um, this one does sneak through. Just thinking, just thinking of watching it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get why this one is allowed over there. Like, it it plays everything pretty close to the chest. You don't see anybody wearing a rainbow flag pin. <laughs> you don't see you don't see two women holding hands. Uh, you know, I which is like fine, uh, whatever. Um, but even still, I guess I'm surprised with the vacuum of Marvel with the lack of Marvel movies over there. I would think this one would get a lot of movement. But you know, people got to warm up to it. And I did too. I'll be honest. I don't think I actually ended up seeing Ant-Man 1 or 2 ever. Honestly, I was I was just talking with somebody about it over the weekend. I don't know how we didn't talk about this before we reviewed the movie, but like I I don't think I ever saw those movies. <laughs> I think I've just seen Scott Lang in like adjacent, you know, Avengers Civil War. Like he's in all kinds of stuff. Like I've just, you know, I've seen him pop up. I I've seen I've seen all of them. Um I really like the first one. The first one was famously supposed to be directed by none other than Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, uh, I know. Of, of Shaun of the Dead fame. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the universe world. Anyways, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, so he was supposed to direct the first Ant-Man and uh, their creative differences. Uh, he's kind of started on the script and then it fell through. But we still got a very kind of different movie. Ant-Man 1 is hilarious. Uh, Michael Pena's in there as kind of this sidekick character and he's got a couple of these just hilarious uh, kind of tangents. I'm really missing him from this movie. Uh, that first movie is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and the second one is... I, I don't remember it at all. Forgettable. I don't think I saw it. Like, I'm really trying to think back. I'm like, no, I, I feel like I haven't seen all, it. I think all I remember is the end when they come back from the quantum realm and then everyone's been snapped. Oh yeah! Trailer. No, hold on. That that happens, and that's an end credits of another movie. Because I remember I think that. It, I think it might be that one. Anyways, I don't. Okay. And anyway, the reason I wanted to ask is a little bit of setup. Because if you've watched Ant Man and you're a fan of Ant Man, I want you to feel like it's coming from a place of somebody who's seen it, which is not me. <laughs> but I've seen Ant Man and adjacent things, and I think it's important to set that up, right? This is Ant Man a ways into the Marvel franchise. This is not a one-off feature. This is, but but Marvel always wants you to be able to feel like you can go in and see something, even if you haven't seen the previous. And I'm that person for you. So if you haven't seen any of their Ant-Man, other Ant Man movies, or if you have, stick around because we were talking about Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. So the story of Ant Man and the Wasp is pretty simple, or Quantumania, I should say. 
uh, Cassie, uh, Scott Lang's daughter, is older, right? And she's a rebel, and she's growing up. And Scott Lang feels a little bit like, yeah, he's been off saving the world, and she's been kind of doing her own thing, and he's, he's a little disconnected from her, but things are going okay overall. He's got a book, and life's all right. Then something happens. And one day, uh, while the entire Ant-Man family is downstairs in the basement, who's that? Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, good God, Michael Douglas, Evangeline <laughs> Lilly, Paul Rudd, and the girl who plays Cassie, whose name I don't remember right now. Uh, all of them Catherine get sucked. Okay, Catherine Newton. All of them get sucked into the quantum realm. Whoosh, right? A, a subatomic world of, of CGI landscapes, as far as the eye can see. Smaller than the smallest thing you've ever even thought about in your life, where anything's possible strange creatures are abound and weird happenings happen and there happens to be one particular villain down there one individual who's hell-bent on destroying not only the universe but all the universes the multiverse and that villain is kang uh, ant-man and the wasp quantumania is to be the setup for phase five this is supposed to be the beginning of the next thing and a lot of people have praised this movie as the introduction of kang is this is going to be the next thing jonathan majors plays him uh but we need to talk about just what exactly is going on in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So with all that set up, Andy, what do you think? I was really, really disappointed with <laughs> this one. Um, and I'm a huge Marvel fan. I'm a huge comic book fan, as our listeners well know. Uh, and this was just really under underwhelming. I didn't really... Uh, it's, I mean, the plot is just thin. It, it relies heavily on the effects which do look great, and that's pretty much it. It starts to... It reminds me of something like Episode 2 of Star Wars, where it's just so much is put into the budget that, like, the story's getting overlooked. Um, there's not m much of a conflict down, down here. Our conflicts between our characters is very weak. There's some friction between Scott Lang and his daughter, because he was gone for five years during during the blip, and... You know, like she she's getting into trouble, but it turns out she's it's Disney trouble. She's she's like protesting big oil or something and, you know, ends up in jail. It's not like she was shoplifting or something, something like that. It's very weak. We ha we have kind of have too many characters. We we have the like five people in the Ant-Man family. Um, and then we're teasing Kang for like half the movie. He doesn't show up until hour two. And I was like. You know, when I think of something, again, like The Dark Knight, you see the Joker in the first act, like, you're getting some quality scenes. And they keep teasing Kang, and it's so annoying. They're like, oh, he knows you're here. And, oh, you've upset him. There, there's It does that for, like, 30 minutes once they get down to the quantum realm, and he, it takes him forever to show up. Um, and then the way he's teased throughout the trailer is just different from what you kind of get in the movie. And uh, overall, I was, I was really disappointed with this. <laughs> Yeah, I could I could tell. Uh, me too. Ant Man and the Quantum Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Man is a bit of a bust. Gonna be honest, your boys here at script didn't like it, but I want to talk about why. Uh, first off, you're absolutely right. I think the thing we we can't ignore it is so CGI heavy. Like, and I know you watched the tra if you've watched the trailer, you know we're walking into this. I get it, but like, I guess I thought there was gonna be a couple characters still on the Earth level, maybe with some drama, right? Like, or Michael Pena would be up there trying to fix the quantum realm device or whatever to get them back. Or like, no, the whole, I mean, 90% of the film, 95 takes place on green screen sets. It is nearly the entire runtime. Like, and it's rough dude. Cause 
I like if, if you're a kid, right? It's fine. You don't care. It's it's like any other animated feature. But like if you're an adult, and especially if you're somebody like two morons that run a movie podcast, you see every little problem, right? All the lighting sucks. The characters look like they're lost. Nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Like it's just a, a chunky feature and. If you're looking for something soft, right? If you're looking for like a generic Marvel, hey, the characters go in and and do the fish out of water gag and figure it out by Act Three, then Ant Man and the Wasp is fine. I, I told Andy when we walked out of this thing, I said if this thing had been made a decade ago, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. But like we're so far past this now. People expect so much more from their cinema, and I don't think this is enough. Rotten Tomatoes, I think, has the best read on this so far. Uh, the giant critic score and audience score, very divisive. Uh, critic score is 46%, right? That's certified rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Meanwhile, audiences have it at a round 84, B minus. Not great, but not bad. My God, Andy, are people ever going to have standards? <laughs> is, is, this what we're, is this what we've been reduced to? Is it going to be Fast X and Ant-Man 3 for the rest of our days? Oh my god. Well, I I put less and less stock in any kind of online aggregator because you can pay people and come like those can be heavily manipulated. It's kind of true. In 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 lots of in lots of ways. Like I I looked on on the interwebs and there were like on on Twitter and people and people were like, "Oh my gosh, it's 9 out of 10, 9 and a half out of 10. The second best Marvel movie to ever be made." And it was like this seems like the PR team is on overdrive right now. Uh this movie's got some big problems and it's not even because I was thinking, even something like Fast and the Furious is at least it's dumb, but it's a fun time. Like you're gonna see ridiculous action and fights, and it's just like a good popcorn movie. This like Ant Man three fails as even a popcorn movie, even as just a piece of like, you know, flaccid entertainment. Yeah, it's <laughs> I just say flaccid entertainment. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I feel the same way. So let's dig into it a little bit, right? We can't can't be all bad. Uh, so, like I said in the open, uh, Scott Lang is a hero and he's doing his thing. Like movie movie opens with him doing his narration. This is me. I I life's great, right? Things aren't so bad. Little music, things are fun. You get a couple of very brief blink and you'll miss a cameos from old Ant Man characters like Randall Park. He's in one. Uh, no Michael Pena, which I, I didn't even realize till Andy said said it afterwards. But he's right. Like he's he's in those two two features that I haven't seen and. He's not present here. Uh, and then, very, like, within 10 minutes, our characters are sucked down to the quantum realm. Like, we're we're on our way. Yeah, act 1 <laughs> we're is gone. efficient. Act 1 is, and, is pretty solid. Yes. And the trip down to the quantum realm, right? Like, you get the CGI characters shrinking. Oh, you know, like, whatever. You get a great, like, transition sequence. Very similar to, like, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. Where Doctor Strange will, like, blast through a bunch of different universes. You get crazy, like, visuals. You, you see a bunch of rad stuff. Like, at least that first act is a pretty efficiently paced, entertaining vehicle. The problem is, I think, and you realize very quickly with the introduction of the Lang family, Cassie being older, uh, the script is, is you know, in a word, particularly cringe, man. Cringe is the word I'd use. Like, it's it's really rote. Like, yeah, the jokes are all really toothless. Yeah, you're right. Like, Cassie's not doing anything particularly exciting. She's like, yeah, I, I shrunk a cop car at the protest, Dad. What was I supposed to do? They they were being jerks. Like, just, it's like, eh, eh, okay, it's fine. It's, everything's really like it's white gloves. It's uh, yeah, everything's kid gloves. Everything's really soft. And, and our performances, I think we should get into probably the Lang family, like, are fine like there's for, too for many of them there's just there's too many, too many, many to keep them. up with and it's not like an ensemble film like guardians 
It's true. Uh, Paul Rudd is, you know, doing the Paul Rudd thing. But, like, I feel like I've seen Paul Rudd in enough interviews to know, like, my man is not. <laughs> it's not 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 really there. Like, he's kind of just getting the check. He's on a green screen set. He doesn't really know what he's supposed to be looking at. They're like, look over here, Paul. Say your line. Great. Evangeline Lilly, I think, is doing pretty good. But, again, fine. Uh, and then Catherine Newton, who we've actually seen in a couple features. Uh, most recently, Freaky. She's the body swapper with Vince Vaughn in that movie. Uh, she's good, actually. I, I I like what she does with the script, but it's so weak. Like, she doesn't get anything really fun to do. It's just a really flat character. Like, everybody's everybody's two-tone in this. Michael Douglas needs to stay home, dude. Like, they gotta, they gotta, he, he cannot keep doing these movies. <laughs> I, 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 there were a couple moments I genuinely felt bad for the poor man. Like, every, he's, he's, he's stunt doubled in any action scene where all of them will be featured. He's got his, he, he'll like have his head turned away on screen. Or there's one bit where they're like riding this big beast in the quantum realm and his character has a full bandana with big goggles on. <laughs> So you can tell it's like clearly somebody else. Like he's Michael Douglas needs to, needs to stay home. And uh, Mickey Pfeiffer is actually pretty good. I actually liked her just fine, but uh, everybody's just kind of lukewarm because their characters are just really lukewarm. And there's two, like I said, there's too many of them, which means there's not enough screen time to go around unless you're only going to focus on their family. And there's other characters that they're going to run into as well as antagonist characters as well. There's just too many, and they're just written so weak. Like Hank should have stayed not in, like in the in the or on Earth and not gotten shot yes. down. That's what they should have done. Not yeah, it's him. it yeah, it should have been the Hank Pym like in the phone booth like movie Michelle where Pfeiffer's he's like on fine. the phone like what's going on yeah. down there? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Trying to fix the thing. He's yeah. op- he's the operator. Um, yes, Michelle Pfeiffer's fine, but she also does this annoying thing where they're like, "What happened when you were down here?" Uh, I can't remember her name. Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet Van Dyne. Janet, what happened while you were in the quantum range? She's like, I can't talk about it. And that's all she does for like 30 (laughs) minutes. I'm sorry, I can't talk about it. It's too... uh, Yes. And it's like, yeah, you could probably tell... Like, we all know about Kang. He's been announced for two years now, and he's in the trailer. You can just tell us about Kang the Conqueror. Uh, Like I said, Catherine Newton, uh, Cassie Lang has a friction-filled relationship with uh, her father, Kind of for no reason. She's like, you were gone. You were you weren't here for me. And it's like, well, you got blipped by by Thanos. You weren't. It's not like he was off gallivanting around the globe or something. So yeah. there's a weird dynamic there. And then it just that's a good conflict to start with, but it just never is really developed, and it doesn't. It just sort of resolves out of nowhere. So our cast is fine. Jonathan Majors is the, is the big draw as Kang the Conqueror, the new big villain they're in- introducing for phase uh, four, five, six, I guess. Um, I was really expecting a lot more. He's fine. I I, th- I think his character is just written very weak. He should have like some great monologuing, some quotable lines, some good speeches. And he just, it's just, it's like villain of the week. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. he's just not done justice. And I know he can, he can bring the heat and he's just not really given much to work with. That was one of the great things about Thanos is he was written so well. Like Thanos is endlessly quotable throughout the 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 movies. His and and like I couldn't tell you a single line that, that Kang says. Yeah, uh, Act Two of this feature obviously is our characters in the quantum realm. They start to get their footing. 
And this is where the plot really becomes like, or the script, I should say, really becomes like an effort of conveniences uh, when there needs to be some kind of like hurdle for the characters to jump. Janet Van Dyne will be like, well, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. It, it was a long time ago, you know, like she, she will just kind of push things off or it may have some like weird happenstance, the quantum realm, right? Some weird creature will roll up and they're like, oh, what do we do? And you get like a two minute fight scene to make it kind of exciting. And then one of them will shrink it with, you know, their aunt Ray. Uh, but then whenever they need something to move forward, Janet Van Dyne will be like, I know a guy from when I was down here before. Or, oh, look, we found a convenient spaceship that will fly us directly to the next part of the plot. Um, it reminds me of like the critique people have given or some critics of Star Wars give like the force. The force is just like a tool of plot convenience. It's all over this movie. Like anytime there's a problem, somebody has an immediate fix and it really does have like a movie of the week kind of feel like it just feels flat. But by the end of act two, we do finally meet Kang. Uh, Kang the Conqueror, like Andy said, has been built as like this super thing, dude. Like the marketing and PR around Kang has been hot. And Jonathan Majors is a hot talent. All right. A hot commodity. He's the cover of Variety this week. Like my man has got the chops, but this script does not give it to him. It, it, he's got a couple kind of clever things to say about time, but it doesn't give him like the space and it doesn't give him like the breath to be this kind of mythical hero that all of the marketing is acting like he is. It's the exact same problem I had with Batman in Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Like, you probably should have given Batman his own movie first. Or you should have built Batman into, like, five other things and built him up as this kind of, like, big thing. And then you roll him into the feature. Instead, they just kind of told us Kang is going to be a big deal. Disney's got a line out right now about Kang's larger goals for Phase 5 of the Marvel Universe. It's like, you could have just put that in the movie, but they didn't. Like, because the script doesn't, ha doesn't happen. No, it's just not there. That there is so much telling and not showing in this, this movie. Um, one of the things about Kang is he's like, you know, he can manipulate time. He can go forward and backward, can jump from timeline to timeline, from multiverse to multiverse. We never see any of that. He just talks about it. <laughs> he just points, he points to like a chart on the wall and said, like, these are timelines. I'm, I'm yeah, cutting them off. Right. I'm, I'm cutting them off as they get out of control or something. We never see it. We no. we never see that demonstrated. He's just like he's like yes, I've killed Avengers before. We never see it. And, yes, you know, and kind of what the the trailer teases is that he's going to give Scott Lang kind of an impossible choice. He he was like, give me what I want, or I, I you know I'll erase you from existence or or something like that. That never really happens either. <laughs> like, uh, you know, there's supposed to be this incredible being who can who can c manipulate time and multiverses and we never see that demonstrated in any kind of meaningful way or anything that's going to make us go oh my god this is such an incredible bit like his big thing is is a blue beam he like shoots a blue beam and that hurts people that trailer is certified bait man we've been running that trailer for like eight months and the whole thing they build up to it with the music and everything is you lost five years with your daughter. Now she's distant from you. I can give you that time back. What's it going to be, Ant-Man? Like, may make a deal with me, right? Deal with the devil kind of thing. That is barely in the feature. That is hardly a conflict. It is such a shame. And they knew, right? They knew when they cut the trailer. Like, this is a more interesting conflict than anything that we could advertise that's in the actual movie. It is bait for sure. 
I can't talk about the third act a whole lot because we don't really do spoilers on this show, but I do want to talk about what we do see because Andy's right. They tell us an awful lot, but they don't show us. And it would have been easy to show us because they do it all in post. In Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, they are on green screen sets nearly the entire feature. They are enhancing characters with CGI. They are adding CGI helmets or CGI super suits and they need to. There's a couple of baddies that have like CGI put on them instead of prosthetics. Like it is so overwrought with like just visual effects. And the problem is if you're up on Marvel news or VFX news in Hollywood, which you're likely not unless you listen to this off, off script and subscribe. Uh, I think Marvel is starting to burn through goodwill of VFX studios a little bit. And yep. I think it's starting to show in the movies. Cause this one is like, fine it's just fine that first act like i said the, the transition down to the quantum realm some of the like exciting new things you first see down there pretty good but pretty soon especially through act two this movie very quickly turns into like generic background the movie like there's nothing really exciting going on go back and look at the trailer like you'll just kind of see a lot of like flat buildings and like kind of shapes that are out of focus and it's worth mentioning uh there's no direct source of light in the quantum realm there's no sun down there so every scene is just, uh, yeah, and every scene is just like softbox lighting with a couple lights somewhere. There might be a couple colors, and that's the whole movie. The lighting is so bad, and like most people don't pay attention, most people don't care, but it affects the larger experience. Like the movie just kind of comes off looking flat, and for a movie that's supposed to be in this magical Oz-like realm, right? Uh, you don't get it. it. It you you really don't. The Wizard of Oz and freaking Technicolor look better than this movie looks. Yeah, the, the well, the other thing is that they don't not only use green screen, but they use kind of this newer technology that's been used on things like The Mandalorian, where the actors are actually behind giant screens that are pixelated, that like there's something projected on, like the yeah, background is the light. Yeah, to right. make them so so the sun. actors are at least acting against uh, like a digital background, which I think helps them a little bit. Uh, but like I said, this movie is depending so much on the weirdness and on the visual effects. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is we run into some, uh, some other characters uh, down here in the quantum realm. Uh, we, from the trailer, we see Bill Murray makes an, an appearance. Uh, Modoc, which is this like killer robot. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we see, but there's all, they, they meet these like oppressed rebels resistance down there who are kind of like rebelling against uh, Kang and it's just a very weird shoehorned kind of revolutionary type group. Uh, if you've seen Black Adam, it's the same thing. Like there's a weird revolution thrown into this superhero movie and they do it again in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's really bizarre. It really is. Like overall, you end up with a feature that is like just kind of just kind of dull. And it's weird because... Like I said at the top, like if this movie had been made a decade ago, I think it would have been relatively well received. Like I think people would have seen it and been like, yep, pretty good superhero movie, not too shabby. But like we're just in a different place now. I think, I, I think <laughs> there's a tweet I saw that I'm going to rip off from this, but uh, I think, at, you know, leading up to the pandemic, like we had Infinity War, we had Endgame, and that felt like a genuine like close of a chapter. Like we had this huge penultimate thing and we had reached the tippy top and that was awesome. And then the pandemic happened and we all went on hiatus from watching Marvel movies for like two years, right? There were a couple that came out, but nothing really going on. 
And then phase four is really lackluster because they're trying to build something new that nobody cares about. And then by the time we get to where we're at now, we have Top Gun Maverick in theaters and we got Avatar 2 in theaters. This doesn't cut it anymore. People aren't impressed. I mean, people are mildly impressed. If you want to run it through the Rotten Senate score, it's a B minus, dude. Like, <laughs> you're not putting out A plus cinema here. And I think somebody at Disney's got to know this, right? I think somebody at Disney can look at the chart over time and go, hmm, okay, yeah, we are still making $100 million films, but there's a downtrend here. Like, people are, it's going down. And I remember when Marvel movies used to come out and they'd put the rotten score right on that, right in the commercial, right? You couldn't avoid it. 95%, like, you know, certified fresh, whatever. 91% certified fresh. Nothing like that for this movie. They're not even touching it. Because somebody back there knows. Somebody back there knows this is lackluster. The people who made the trailer know this is lackluster. The people that made the VFX know it's lackluster. Ant-Man 3 is a big miss for me, man. And I, I, I wish I didn't feel that way. I remember being so excited when Marvel was in phase one, one through three. Um, when, when I saw like Captain America, Winter Soldier and Civil War, those movies were way better than they deserve to be. Like they had very mature themes. Civil, uh, sorry, Winter Soldier is about like security versus safety. Civil War is about accountability versus responsibility. Like the, they have these very adult themes and that are developed really well. Um, and the, the movies were so great, and they they would kind of tease some larger things. They're like, oh, there's an Infinity Stone here, and you know Thanos is coming. But that was off in the background. Now it's like the opposite. It's like they don't care about the main movie. We just want to tease the big overarching thing. Um, and those movies got better. Like uh, those two that I mentioned, the Captain America movies, very good. But then we got Black Panther. We got Thor Ragnarok that we're even better and even elevating the genre. Now it's like back to the basement. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think, I think Marvel does have maybe a bit of a plan going forward. Actually, our death of cinema segment in just a minute is perfect. Cannon fodder to talk about this actually couldn't, couldn't line it up better. Uh, with that being said, any other thoughts or recommendations on this, Andy? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? I'm going to have to say pass. Even as, even as someone uh, who, who's, excited about i like i love comic books and marvel and stuff and this was such a chore and it was so lazy and so uninspired i would just say if you're a little interested just read the synopsis and wait for the highlight clips to come out online because it's it's not even worth sitting through just to know what's going on because nothing happens there are no stakes everyone's got plot armor nothing meaningful develop develops uh it's got some nice effects but that that's kind of about it pass yeah. Uh, I'm in the same boat, like big pass. It'll come to Disney Plus. Don't even worry about it, man. It's fine. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a screensaver of a movie. You know what I mean? Like it is acceptable. It is visual. It's fine. Like I, I wish I could say there's more to it. I really do. It's too long. It's two hours five minutes. Should have been a tight ninety. Like it's, it's a D. It's an okay script. Like it's visually fine. I think a lot of people that have praised it have said. This movie's going to be remembered because it's the one that introduces Kang. And like, I honestly think Kang will play better in whatever the next feature is because they may not have to do as much introducing. Maybe they can just jump right in with them. And I think that'll play better all around. Like, this movie's just kind of mid. Uh, I wish the best for director Peyton Reed. I would encourage him to get out of the Ant Man movies. This is his third one. Go do something else, my guy. Like, <laughs> just go get on go, out. Go, 
And, and like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with Scott Lang next. next. Like, the Ant-Man family is alive and well here. Every Everybody's rocking. So I assume we're getting another film at some point, right? Like, they're going to have to start to curb it. But you got the world's greatest scientist and the world's greatest thief and an Avenger just kind of sitting on the sidelines with a mediocre third film. And that's that's a bummer. So with that, we should move into our next segment. Andy, you want to uh, intro this for us? It's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be talking about Disney again, which we we talk about quite a lot on the show. Uh, from kind of reviewing this article from the Hollywood Reporter, how much is too much Marvel and Star Wars? Disney is rethinking their their franchise output. Bob Iger is back, and I'm starting to call him Bob the Butcher because he's Bob cutting butcher. <laughs> he's cutting budgets, he's cutting jobs, he's cutting production. Um, they're going to be pulling way back on some of the production on Marvel particularly Marvel, uh, during kind of phase four, we got 18 projects, uh, or actually between kind of, yeah, four and, I mean, just a ton of Marvel stuff. We we got like 11 movies, five or six TV shows. It was just ton, and it was kind of quantity over quality, and uh, Bob Iger has realized that, and he's, you know, trying to reassure the the investors, because he has to figure out, or he's trying to figure out how to make streaming profitable, and one of the things that they're going to do is really come back on the number of shows and, and movies. Iger is a very fondly remembered CEO, especially after like the short run of Bob Chapik that we've had. And he <laughs> is running a masterclass on how to finesse investors and also seemingly direct a company in a correct direction. Marvel is making way too much content. He's cutting back and he's telling investors we're cutting costs. We're saving money. We're going to make more. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And fundamentally, I think it's the right move. Like Marvel is making too much stuff. There are five Marvel features coming out this year. Five. I don't know anybody that can name all of them. I don't know a single. I can't name all of them. Oh my God. And we do a freaking movie podcast. It's crazy. And it's like, it's just too much. And I think, again, if they can look at a chart of growth and where they're at now, in general, they're going to start to see a downtrend on returns. And that's the first thing Iger's identified here like we have to make more money for the projects we make he says we want the quality on the screen but we have to look at what they cost us because these features are extraordinarily expensive and that is true that i'm that is worth mentioning for me ragging on ant-man 3's vfx it ain't cheap these movies are not cheap to make and then they come out and they're just kind of like fine and i think that like that wall between how much they cost and how much they make is starting to thin and they're realizing, hey, uh, we can't do this forever. This is a big critique of Bob Chapik. Like, he was just kind of squeezing the blood from the stone. He wanted to lean on legacy properties and just make money with what they already had. And Iger realizes, no, no. Like, we have to, we have to keep, you have to keep putting fuel in the tank. <laughs> you got to keep, you got to add more so, so the House of Mouse can continue to churn. Um, and now he's got to figure out the best way to do it. Right. A good example of this cutting is going to be in the shows. So, in in the summer, last summer, uh, Kevin Feige announced five shows: What If season two, Echo, Loki season two, Ironheart, Ironheart, and Agatha: Coven of Chaos. These were five shows that are supposed to come out. Only two of these will probably make it to twenty twenty three. They're cutting way back, and that's probably just going to be Loki and What If. I th- I think uh, the Secret Invasion. 
Sam L. Jackson. Invasion. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one. So there are all those others I mentioned. Uh, what if Echo, Ironheart, Agatha, Coven of Chaos might all get pushed or might get kind of axed all all together. Um, I think that this is a good thing. And and, and Bob, I almost just said Bob, like I know him. Bob Iger, <laughs> uh, he's, he told investors, he was like, we were in an arms race uh, to get subscribers and we were just producing as much as we could so we could get more subscribers, you know, in com- competition with Netflix and other streaming services. And now he's like, okay, we're kind of there where we need to be subscriber-wise. Now we can be more disciplined in our spending and bring better shows to the screen, both big and small. I think of the shows they're 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 talking about, those are the two strongest picks for sure. Uh, Loki and Secret Invasion both lean on legacy like characters. I was gonna say heroes. Uh, Tom Hiddleston and Samuel Jackson are both pretty well respected. I think by Marvel fans. I think people will look forward to those shows. Agatha Coven of Chaos I think Agatha is definitely a fan favorite like for Marvel fans that watch WandaVision or got caught up in the ridiculous Agatha all along meme for like two weeks when that came out (laughs) Uh, and everybody loves Catherine Hahn like I think she is a really good startup but like you gotta start picking what you're gonna spend time in because fans spend their time with these heroes and while Disney may think okay yeah that's just a bit of a budget for Disney Plus we'll write that off that's fine we'll just roll out content that people can watch People are spending, you know, six, eight hours watching these shows. At some point, you're not going to spend any more time watching any more shows if, like, the past few times you've done it, you're not getting the dopamine you were getting, you know? People want the heat. They want the smoke. It's got to be good. If you're going to spend that much time watching those shows, if you're going to spend two months of subscription costs to pay for Disney Plus to watch those shows, they got to be pretty good. This is something HBO nails. HBO has like the most Absolutely. killer run of, of content right now. House of the Dragon, White Lotus Season 2, uh, Last of Us, and then they're about to roll into Succession Season 3. Killer. Every single one of those is an Emmy-winning show. Like, when I think of HBO, I think of absolute quality. When I think of Marvel, I think of mid. And they got to pivot. And the best way to do that is space it out, slow down a little bit, and make the stuff you put out really good. <laughs> Make it stuff that people want to watch. Yes, there will be less of it, but people will respect it more. Look at Netflix and Stranger Things. Good God. People will resubscribe for a season of Stranger Things and then bail again. Like, it's worth it just for that. That's the position Marvel needs to start to move to. Fundamentally, I think this is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To give a good example of, like, you know, I sat through the Boba Fett show. I sat through the Obi-Wan Kenobi shows. Uh, and it was like a chore, and then by the time Andor rolled around, which I've heard is really good, I just didn't care anymore, and I was burnt out, and I didn't even, didn't even want to give it a chance, and I still haven't, and now it's 12 episodes, and I'm like, eh, I'd rather just <laughs> just not, and uh, they're going to kind of run into that. I, I think that's what they're, what they're trying to, to avoid is just having that kind of fatigue. Um, at the movies, it's a bit of a different story. We talked about this a little last week, but... Uh, most recently, uh, Disney, a couple of Disney's offerings, uh, Lightyear, Pixar, and Strange World were fundamental bombs. Lightyear did not do good. Strange World was a full-on bomb. They just kind of decided not to advertise it. Not really clear why. Uh, but now Iger has announced three new projects, Toy Story 5, Frozen 3, and Zootopia 2. Again, all safe. All things that made a bunch of money. <laughs> all things that people seem to like. All things that sell merch at the parks. Perfect, right? Like, we're, we're going to make more of those. And while they are kind of creatively bankrupt, because they're all sequels, 
and Zootopia 2 feels particularly thin. Uh, they're safe, right? And they're spread out, and they're going to be things that people like, and that's a good thing. And I don't think that's bad, but I think they can get away with this for, I don't know, a year or two, and then, yeah, you guys got to get back into making new stuff, right? I know you got Pixar, right? Pixar will continue making new things. Disney Animation Studios will probably work on new things when they can, but they're going to be pretty tied up with these. Two of these are Pixar features, and one of those is Disney Animation, so that's fundamentally what they're going to be working on for the next few years. Yeah, one of the comments I've heard is about Disney and Hollywood in general is that they don't make movies, they make culture. Like that's really the the product. Like these movies and TV shows that really influence American and Western culture are that's really the product. And when you make mediocre entertainment, that stops to happen. Yeah, it absolutely does. You're absolutely right. Like Disney is making magic. Like they don't they are not a company that is just making movies. They're making movies that you're going to like so much. You're going to show it to your kids and your kids are going to show it to their kids and you're going to take them to the park because they can ride the ride and they can buy the t-shirt that has that movie on it. View studios like aspire to that. It's not easy to do. It's, it's, it's a difficult task. You have to do it with new ideas and you have to do it with quality content and they've had some new ideas, but the content quality has been slipping. And I think the pivot is important. Um, I don't know if there's a lot in here about Star Wars specifically. I do kind of want to talk about it, but from the film side, we know that they got they have greenlit and then quietly canceled more Star Wars projects than they know what to do with. Uh, they, the creators of Game of Thrones on HBO, Damon Lindelof and DB Weiss. Uh, not Damon Lindelof. Who am I thinking of? Dan, Dan and Dan, Dave and David, whatever. Yeah. They were supposed to do a Star Wars movie. That didn't work out. Taika Waititi's supposed to do a Star Wars movie. It's not really happening. Patty Jenkins. Bags fumbled. Well, yeah, what, from uh, director of Wonder Woman is supposed to do, do, do a movie. Not really happening. Damon Lindelof was actually supposed to do a movie. Hasn't really happened. Like, they just don't seem like they got a lot going on. Uh, on the Disney streaming side, they got Ahsoka, and they got Bad Batch, and they got Obi-Wan. And, yeah, they're making content, but... I think they're going to start to slow down there, but in the movies, they have come to an absolute halt. Right, and the movies are a perfect example of going quantity over quality. That's what happened with Star Wars. They rebooted it in 2015, and within four years, they had kind of killed this new uh, reboot. Uh, you know, by the time Solo came out, and it was a bomb, it was the first Star Wars movie to ever bomb. Like, if Marvel's not careful, they're going to run into that same thing. Yeah, I don't know how you get out from under it with Star Wars. I mean, the, the the long and short answer is you just need to have some confidence and make a movie, right? I mean, <sighs> you got to go, you got to start new. You got to do a new adventure, make us fall in love with new characters, new settings, like stop with the nostalgia bait. In the most charming way, I think the studio to look at right now for some inspiration, it's DC. I think they might want to look at what DC's doing. All right. You got you got James Gunn who's greenlighting a bunch of weird stuff, man, but like also some quality products, right? There's a Superman movie, a Batman movie, a Green Lantern show coming. He's also got like Creature Crew or whatever they're called, and like Golden yeah. Boy Man or whatever his name. You know, weird stuff that I don't really know about. But I have a feeling all of those are going to be like unique and present something that like is particularly engaging. Matt Reeves just rebooted Batman for the umpteenth time. And it's great. Robert Pence's The Batman is a really solid feature. Uh, Todd Phillips, director of The Hangover, made a Joker movie, and it's really good. Like, I think maybe they should take a peek at the other side of the table, because, like, for once, I think DC might be moving in a stronger direction. I think Marvel needs to start, you know, looking how they can catch up creatively. 
Yeah, like I said, they're in real danger of, of fumbling the bag, and they're bringing us a bunch of characters that we don't really care about. Like we said, Shang-Chi, Eternals, these are these were cool characters, but then they're not really developing them. They're, you know, we're not getting sequels. Before we got, you know, three Iron Man movies, three Thor movies, three Captain America movies. They were really investing in those characters, and now they introduce a character, and then we're, who knows when we're going to see the Eternals again? When are we going to see Shang-Chi again? I mean, yeah, eventually. And but the, they're just so not memorable now. Yes, and at the new pivot here, that like, oh my gosh, we're only going to make stuff that's really quality. Is it worth following those characters up at all? Because um, every one of those films ends with the tease. Every one ends that this is going in a new, exciting direction. I mean, they're supposed to shoot Blade next year, which, God, I still can't get over. You got you got Oscar winner Mahershala Ali attached to star in that, and you lost your director two weeks before you started shooting. Like, good God. <laughs> what kind of nightmare? I thought, he walked away. I thought Mahershala Ali walked away. I did he? Remember. I haven't heard Possibly. that. Possibly. Maybe he did. I in hope trouble. not. In it's trouble. a shame. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, Eternals is up in the air. Shang-Chi's up in the air. Black Widow's up in the air. There just seems to be no central driving force here, and they have got to get it under control. I wonder if we're going to be hearing about Kevin Feige taking a walk in the next, I don't know, year or two, probably. Oh, it's time for me to move on, right? Like, it just feels like the Phase 4 bag has been fumbled, and Phase 5 is not off to a great start. With that being said, uh, speaking of bag fumbled, we need to talk about our final film. Uh, this is a weird one for off script. It's kind of movie we don't do that often. We do micro budget indie horror. This one's unique. Andy, you want to tell people a little about this before we jump into it? Or maybe new listeners? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, should I introduce it first? Yeah, go ahead. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. We used to be friends. Why are you doing this, please? I would have never left that So this is the kind of horror reimagining of the beloved Winnie the Pooh uh, property. For those who don't know, Winnie the Pooh recently uh, entered public domain. It is no longer, it's not owned by Disney. It's not owned by anyone. Um, and so a horror director, Reese Frake uh, Waterfield from out of England, uh, took it upon himself to reinvent this character in a in a kind of twisted dark horror setting uh as kind of as a slasher film uh essentially uh it it you have all all the kind of trappings of Winnie the Pooh you have the 100 acre wood you have a Pooh Piglin some of some of the other characters we know yes uh, the the basic setup is that Christopher Robin plays with these these characters and then eventually goes off to college leaving them and they're like real life animals and they're kind of left in the woods and they be become feral. They've been abandoned. They're, they're lonely and they develop a hatred for humankind. And then a group of young girls, of course, go wandering in the woods or they, they, they book an Airbnb out, out in the woods in, in the realm of, of, of Pooh Bear. And he goes on a killing spree because he, he hates humans now. And, and that's basically the, the setup. There's really not much more than that. It's very much done in like the, the style of an 80s slasher. Very, yeah. very thin storyline. It's all about the gruesome kills. So that's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Zach, what'd you think? 
First off, I guess I thought it would sound better when you described it, but I think it might actually sound worse. Uh, so notably, I think it's worth mentioning if you're an audio listener of the show, if you haven't seen the trailer for this, uh, these are not Disney-fied versions of the characters. Disney still owns the character designs, the music, right? Like, can't do any of that. It's got to be really based on just like the core story that Disney based their characters on. That's acceptable. So while our characters do somewhat resemble like Pooh and Piglet, they're not they're they're pretty far removed from that. Andy's right. Uh, our characters are 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 slashers here are like half men, half beasts. This is described in the opening of the film with uh, this like sketchy After Effects looking pro, pro yeah. yeah Procreate animation where it's like yeah Christopher Robin went off to college and then they went feral and, <laughs> and murdered some of their own and got crazy. Uh, and then it quickly transitions to like Christopher Robin heading back to the woods with his wife. Like, come on, honey, I'm going to show you my friends. She's like, they're imaginary, honey. They're they're, they're not real. But then they arrive uh, at his old kind of hideout and come to find like things are not what they seem. And it's it, 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 these characters Which is clearly like a rental. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like this. Is, it's an this Airbnb is where we cabin. used to used to spend time when I grew up. Yeah, and it's like there's like a gas grill out there and a and bunch a of cars, <laughs> a, a tree house, and you're like, what is this place? Yeah, like this is out in the woods. Like, what 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 is that? Anyway, uh, yes, our 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 two slashers, primarily uh, Pooh and Piglet, are <laughs> featured as uh two large characters with just kind of wearing plastic masks uh and on occasion wearing gloves to match and then just like thick clothes so you can't really see like any other you know skin or flesh on them or fur i guess is what would be appropriate uh this is a i think the best the best approximation for it is like a so bad it's good kind of horror movie right yeah like so low budget and bad that you watch it with your friends and like everybody laughs and goofs on like how bad it is but, it, but man, it struggles to hit that because <laughs> it's, it's not. It is really. It's, it's not really that bad. It's yeah, really it's bad. not that goofy, and it's not that la- mm-hmm. like funny. Like it's just kind of like flat and bad. It, and I go ahead. For me, it's it is exactly what I expect. I expected this to be pretty trash, pretty low budget, and uh, it definitely is. But it, it's a shame because it's a miss. It this like again, this is a character everyone knows. And you had an opportunity to do something really different. And even if it's low budget, that like you can still write, you can still have good writing. You can still write good characters. You can still have a good, you know, form, outline, structure to, uh, to your film. And and we really don't. It's really just like this is a slasher, and you're gonna get 90 minutes of slashing, and you you don't really have like Act One, Act Two, characters, conflict. Like it, it's it, it's like it was written by a 14 year old. Uh, who's just like I went now? Pooh kills people, and now a uh, hot girl gets in hot tub and strips naked, and then she's killed. Like it's it, it's so kind of juvenile in in a lot of those things, and I it was like uh, it's kind of gross. Uh, you just have all these like scantily clad women getting killed. Yeah, it reminds me of a lot of like the like gore exploitation. 80s slashers. Uh, Andy Andy hit it perfect with like the 80s slasher appeal because that's all over this movie. Um, but it's not gore exploitation. It's like copyright exploitation. Cause that like fundamentally is the, the, the core thing here. That's the reason this movie exists. I like Andy. I, I think foolishly kind of thought that this was going to be like a, a lean of using like a, a work now in the public domain to highlight a director's ability. I, I thought Reese Wake Waterfield was going to do 
something special here. Like really try to go the distance, incorporate some elements that he hadn't used before, do something clever, like direct a feature that like, you know, is going to get eyes because it's using this very newly available, uh, previously copyrighted work, the Winnie the Pooh characters. And unfortunately, like watching the film, it becomes very apparent. Like, no, this was a sprint to the finish make a feature as fast as possible and put it in theaters to capitalize on a copyright. Like it feels like nearly everything we're watching is like one or two takes. It is very loosely directed. If you don't know Reese Wake Waterfield, you're like me. I don't either. Let me tell you his last three features. Cause he's only done four. And the first one was a short, uh, the area 51 incident, the killing tree and fire NATO. <laughs> all of these, all these are made in the last 500 days three features like, in less than two years he's like you bowl yeah like making making trash it streamlined right like shooting you know go go out and shoot for 16 days and there you go you got your feature uh winnie the pooh blood and honey is too long it is like intentionally it's edited. yeah it's intentionally edited long to make it like hit the runtime length uh it's 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 rough man but let's get into it right like any slasher there are usually things that are worth talking about so uh, what's the best place to jump in here so some of the things that did kind of work for me are the the look of the film like some of the cinematography is actually kind of kind of good and that's how you can tell that he's made several features because you know it's all shot at night uh you got some interesting angles you know it's unfortunate that you know the set is obviously it's not Pooh's lair like this is clearly a rental (laughs) property that you're at but uh, you know the use of like light and shadow and kind of the attempt at being creepy because like these characters are never scary um you know there's some decent cinematography you get a lot there's a lot of gore You, you get a lot of gory kills some really kind of gross moments with like poo eating honey and just like smearing it gr- like sloppily all over his face. Like, and that's what, I mean, there's a shame because there is potential with this, uh, w- with this property, like give this to Jason Bloom and <laughs> yeah. watch him, ma- watch him make a hundred million dollars out of it. That's so funny. I thought the same thing. I was like, if this was a Bloom House production, it would be so much more enjoyable to watch. And I don't even like Bloom House horrors that mo- that much. Like those are pretty cheesy. But this is truly like bottom of the barrel. It reminds me of uh, a while back in the day when Redbox was still relevant. Uh, I was at a lake house on weekend with a couple buddies, and they were like, "Hey, let's go. Let's like go up to the, the local grocery store, get a Redbox movie, just grab some horror feature or whatever, watch it." And I was like, "Uh, yeah, okay, that sounds great." And like the trash they got out of that thing for like a dollar ninety nine was so god awful. We never even got mm-hmm. through it. And like that, this was not quite that caliber. Andy's right. There is a little bit here that's okay, but like it it similar vibes, like just really fast production, just shot straight to, you know, hey, we got this done together, throw it together. We got the rental for the weekend. We're going to make it work. I, but I do want to talk about what I like. Uh, first off, the at least like initial trappings of the script are not bad. Uh, Christopher Robin and his wife travel out to the 100 Acre Wood. Uh, disaster strikes and then we get a surprise cut to a completely different character maria uh who is in therapy uh for a uh recent break incident in. involving a yeah break in a stalker uh which is actually really horrifying and her therapist tells her hey you should plan a girl's trip like you should you should get out of town all right and go out go out to somewhere special that like feels safe uh and you know tell tell your friends about this like maybe just invite them into your heart and like yeah 
I was like, okay, really boring sequence, but okay. I think the idea is not bad. Uh, Maria goes out with four of her finest friends. Uh, and, and I do particularly mean finest. All of these girls are, uh, <laughs> I feel like visually exploited at the very least. Uh, a couple of them just direct, directly kind of sexually exploited, it- which is disgusting. Um, Go ahead. It's one of those really creeper, uh, like creeper director moves. It'd be like, hmm, let let me cast four twenty somethings uh, in my movie, all females in my movie. Yes, and one is Instagram obsessed and is in a bikini and taking absurd photos of herself, and another's a bookworm with glasses. And she's like, "Come on, guys, we're here to support Maria." And two they're of them white. are together. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, and they're all British because this, this is a British feature. They rush this thing right. Uh, they go out there and they're. Uh, I guess it's an Airbnb. I was thinking they were going to maybe connect Maria to Christopher Robin and be like, oh, it's a sister and she's at her home, like whatever. But like they never actually make that jump. Uh, and that's when they discover like there's something out there in the woods and we need to get out of here. But it's really abrupt. Um, not a lot of tone in our feature, like not a lot of like there's there's something out there in the woods. We should go investigate uh Pooh and piglet just kind of roll up one night <laughs> they're like there's humans in our woods and we don't like yeah, it I so here yeah yeah right uh no also worth mentioning uh no dialogue from our from our villains uh they don't talk in the movie they explain in that opening like after effects thing that uh the sketchbook opening that they they stopped talking years ago after christopher robin left them in the woods and like that all feels particularly menacing but unfortunately it's a bit downhill from there because from there you lose all intelligence and you just get into your slasher feature and the slasher stuff is okay. Yeah. I think this is one of the places that there's a really missed opportunity is you, you could have crafted a good character in Pooh Bear here who is, you know, dealing with loneliness and abandonment issues. And, you know, you, you could have have him do basically some Michael Myers, us kind of posing in the mask where, you know, give him some good, scene chewing dialogue and you know just you know give the actors some something to work with like here learn this speech like bring it alive that 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 sort of thing because uh, like i said the the budget's cheaper that doesn't mean the writing has to be and like i said our characters just don't talk and i, I feel like that's a real missed opportunity yeah uh we <laughs> boone piglet are very basic in presentation uh, they are just big dudes with uh, a big overhead mask on. I forget the name of the mask company. It's in the credits, though. I need to look them up. Uh, and Pooh on occasion wears gloves, uh, yellow gloves to match. Only in close-ups, though, because there's definitely a couple scenes where he's like <laughs> running in the woods, and it's clearly like dude's hands, which like wouldn't be bad. The movie does kind of get away with it in the open. They say that they are like half man, half half beast hybrid things. So like I, you know, it's fine, uh, but it. It, it's it's de- clearly so bad it's good territory like you're not fool- nobody's fooled you're all supposed to watch this with your friends and laugh but uh it does also peak at some gore uh a lot of the gore is really explicit this is uh not this is unrated it's actually put out in theaters by fathom events they put it in 1600 theaters trying to make that sweet sweet dough and uh they really just hit it with a lot of after effects like and kind of goofy like blood cgi to kind of you know that they bought in a kit it also feels like <laughs> i'll mention this the music is supposed to be composed by andrew scott ball i don't know who that is i swear to god it sounds like they just bought a few music packs like it really sounds like stock music through a lot of this movie it doesn't yeah. sound like it's intentionally composed for the feature because it feels 
really disconnected from like what's happening on screen. The energy is never perfect. The tone is never really good. I think they just bought music and credited the guy who made it, Andrew Scott Ball, but it's fine. Also, uh, lots of nudity and none of it ever feels good. You know, like that's, that's part of what really sucked about this movie for me. I think I had a, a boyfriend and girlfriend walk out. Yeah, like it's there's an early kill uh, with one of the girls where her shirt gets ripped off and then she gets murdered no shirtless and she's not wearing a bra either. Like, so it's out and about. And I just feel bad. Like, I don't want to watch a girl with her shirt off get murdered. Like, that's that's gross and vulnerable. It's, and it's weird. just so exploitative. Yeah, and like it's funny because Reese wrote the, wrote the script and he script and he also edited the feature. He's the editor. And I think to, like, this stalker character that, like, Maria's got in her life, who, like, not only is, like, a guy who was outside her window one night, like, apparently has, like, hundreds of pictures of her and has been sneaking into her house. And there's a sequence where he's literally, like, trying to take her clothes off while she's sleeping. It's so gross, dude. And it's like, that doesn't come from, like, a well-balanced person. That's pretty, that's pretty disgusting. And, like, that's only a couple of the incidents. There's even a couple more. There's a sequence in a hot tub with the Instagram girl, like that stuff just does not feel good. And like Andy said, I I think on the one hand it's like eighties exploitation, but it just feels like that's the reason this isn't rated. Cause there's no way the NPAA would have been, would have cleared that. They'd be like, you can't show that to people. That's disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it's a product of a long bygone era and, uh, you know, this was, I think, this guy's one shot because he's talking about doing more of these, like looking for other properties that are in the public domain, like Peter Pan and doing like equally kind of twisted versions of like, well, I'm not going to go see it because this one was so bad. You know, yeah, th- that's the funny thing. They, they made this movie for about $100,000. Uh, they ran it into 1,600 theaters with, via Fathom Events, uh, and it's made nearly a million, like 10 times back. Uh, there is no better way to say like horror is alive and well and booming right now than to look at something like the success of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is funny because this is not the only recent micro budget horror indie we've seen. We watched Skinamarink and Skinamarink is so drastically different from this feature. We've already covered it on the show. Feel free to go back and check out our review from just a few weeks ago. But Skinamarink, like I had so much more respect <laughs> for the director. I think Skinamarink is is what I thought this was going to be doing. Skinamarink is like a really simple idea, and the director who made it said, "Man, I really want to put it all all out there for this one. Like, I want to I want to go for it. I want to I want to express myself in ways I hadn't before. Try new things creatively. Like, put things on screen that people haven't seen, and it comes off as something like really special and weird and different, even if it doesn't work for everybody." And Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, meanwhile, feels like rote and I've seen this a million times and this isn't very interesting. And like, it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame because, yeah, our director not only says he wants to do more, uh, the credits of this movie and with Winnie the Pooh will return right out of a Marvel film. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And his next feature is supposed to be, uh, what is it? Peter, Peter Pan, never Peter, Peter Pan's Neverland Nightmare. Uh, And then he also wants to make Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, too. That's that's what he's currently got announced on IMDb. Bloodier and honeyer. I, actually, I take it back. Peter Pan's Neverland Nightmare is currently in production, according to IMDb. So they are oh, shooting God. that right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I man, I'm real skeptical. I, I'm sure it'll put out a decent trailer, but like, if my man wants this to work, he's got to start making better stuff. Absolutely. Mm. Are you ready for recommendations? I think so. Yeah, I I got more I want to say, but like. I feel like I'm going around. There's not, there's, not, there's not really too much to say. 
Yeah, like I, I guess I don't know. I just feel this general feeling of like disappointment. I was really hoping this was going to be like meme quality, some good stuff in here, but it's it's rough. With that being said, Andy, would you recommend Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? Uh, largely pass. I would say unless you're really interested in it, or you know, you you want to have a so bad it's good night, and you know, grab some drinks and popcorn and some friends. Keyboard, lots of friends to laugh at it. Uh, outside of that, I would say pass. It's it's a big miss, and it's a shame because I I think could have done something really cool with this. And you know, like uh, Zach Kreger, who did Barbarian, is now sold two more features because he made such a good horror movie that people want his next ideas. This guy could have done something like that. He could have made something really special, um, even if it was a short, and then you know, sold that to a bigger studio or then gotten a bigger film, bigger budget, something like that. But uh, it's a big miss for me. Yeah, like a a critical misstep from the director and writer, editor here in thinking that like, oh, I'm just going to turn this out quick as possible. With where Barbarian went, with where Skinamarink has gone, like I, I just the littlest more amount of effort would have turned out like vast returns. I think there's no reason this couldn't have been a $2 million, $3 million, $5 million, $10 million feature. Like really- uh, it's just, I, he rushed it. It was like, I'm going to get this out as fast as possible. He's literally shooting the next two features. He's shooting the next one right now. Next one to follow. Like it just, it's not going to work, dude. And it's not going to have like the staying power that this one has kind of had based on like the goodwill of horror fans who think, Oh yeah, this might be something interesting. Um, would not recommend Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I do think it's funny. Like <laughs> we saw two films from two completely different places this week. Right. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, like $200 million Marvel film, huge budget, huge stars, huge CGI, and Winnie the Pooh, but Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, micro budget horror, like really small, really fast shoot. Both were like, eh. Pass on both. Pass. <laughs> Pass. The state of cinema. God. What, what how the, how the hell has happened to us? Anyway, uh, Andy, what are we watching next week? So we're taking a break because Zach is moving. Oh my god! I'm and uh, uh, so that's going to take up a lot of time. Uh, we got a couple of features coming out in the next few weeks that we'll be picking from. Cocaine Bear comes out next week. That's the the new kind of dark comedy directed by Elizabeth Banks. March third brings us Creed three. Definitely going to be checking that out. That looks great. March tenth, the following week, Scream six hits theaters the same day as sixty five, the uh, Adam Driver led sci fi movie as well so a lot of big names coming out march is going to be crazy there's so much coming out in march yes uh no shortage of films coming out unfortunately for the next week maybe two uh i am moving oh my god i was telling Andy before we started the show you, you boys down so bad oh my god the moving is so stressful <laughs> you're trying to juggle work and you're trying we've got it we've got a pet now a cat who we've got to get over there and get acclimated and we got to it's a whole thing, man. So definitely a week off next week, possibly the week after. But lots of good things are coming down the pipe for the movies. Lots of good things coming down the pipe for off script. So if you want to keep up with us and you want to hear our reviews of things coming out this summer, find out when we're back. Maybe let us know what we thought of uh, Ant-Man or, or what you thought of Ant-Man or Winnie the Pooh if you've seen him. Whatever you got going on. The easiest way to do that is to follow us at Offscript Film Review. We're on all the usual sites, right? Facebook, where we live stream the show every Tuesday. Uh, we're on YouTube, where we upload our live streams after the fact and post individual clips. A lot of actually cool, a lot of cool stuff going on, on that YouTube page lately. We can put some time in. Y'all should go check it out. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can find our website. Mail it. Uh, sorry, you can find our website offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us correspondence at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. 
Facebook.com to weigh in on the show or let us know what you thought of a movie or hit us with the recommendation, something you think we should watch. Whatever it is, we'll talk about it. We might even read it on the air if it's good correspondence. Don't be afraid to write in and share with us here at Offscript. And if there's anything you can do to support us, it's just subscribe. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever you're listening to this show right now. Or if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that notification bell. I, 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 don't, I don't know. They tell me that helps. And, uh, you know, keep up with your boys at Offscript. That's what we got going on. Uh, again, apologies for the hiatus, but we'll be back sooner rather than later with more exciting films right here on Offscript. From all of us at Offscript Film Review, the home of bold cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.